final thoughts here. I by think... Jack Andy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I played Raiden today. It was a good game. Shoot the core, Cass. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that rocks you like a hurricane. I'm Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups, and as always, I have... Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru. And if you would like to connect with the podcast, there are a number of ways to do that. You can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can also follow me directly at Game Boy Guru. Uh, check out our Linktree page for links to all of our various feeds and uh, social media, other places. That is linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast. Join us at rfgeneration.com for a Shmup Club playthrough and uh, check out the forum there. Please subscribe, rate, like, review, etc. Uh, the podcast on your preferred platform. You can also join the RF Generation Discord, which is linked from the front page of rfgeneration.com and uh, check out the dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic where we post strats and screenshots or photos of our high scores, talk about shmups in general, and uh, talk about the new episodes. You can also follow me on Twitch and uh, watch me stream the Shmup Club Game of the Month. That is twitch.tv slash gurugameboy. Now, I think you should open up a secondary channel called the Parrot Dog Pirate. <laughs> Parrot Dog Pirate. Well, I'd have to get an eye patch and a hat or something. Oh, we, I'm sure we could get you an eye patch and a hat or something, yeah. No, maybe um, a hat that. Well, you need a hat, an eye patch, and then you need a button that says Ask Me About Loom. I think with that, you'd be set. Yeah, just, just don't ask me to. to Get a peg leg, because that's a bridge too far. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I wanted to mention real quickly, rfgeneration.com. If you haven't been, it's a good place to catalog your collection. There's several things that you're not going to find in other databases. I know I was having trouble when I was trying to add in the Brazilian copy of Deep Space Waifu. And I, I just couldn't find any other database, and RF Generation had it. Or even when I was looking at the uh, Game Boy Color version of Parrot Dog, you know, I, I re- didn't realize I already had about 12 copies of it. So <laughs> being able to know what you have so you don't buy it again is good, and the more you know. Not to mention that uh, the RF Generation database has an entry for every variant of every version of the game that includes Tex-Mexium. So you can't go wrong with that. Oh, that's always a great thing on there. Never forget the Tex-Mexium. Yep. Alright, let's talk about the question of the month. 
this month's question was what is a game that you know is very isn't very original and copies mechanics and design from other games but just does it so well our first response comes to us from at core gamer Tef, excuse me at core gamer Tref. so many indie games like that we like to do this perfectly for starters rival megagun xeno crisis and blazing chrome yeah, I, I think that the Inishmont does a lot of homages to certain things, and in some ways refines it and does it, as we talked about here, does it better. I would think that Xeno Crisis arguably does it better than um, Smash TV, although Smash TV has a <laughs> wonderful catchphrase. Big money, they, uh, big prizes, yeah. I love it! And Blazing Chrome in some ways could be considered better than Contra 3 in some ways. I It doesn't have any of those overhead levels, at least that I can remember. Mm. And Rival Megagon sounds nice, but could you imagine trying to play like Versus Gradius on the Super Nintendo? <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> right. So yeah, there, there's a lot of neat, neat things that can come with this, and I'm glad that people are trying out new ideas or, or copying existing mechanics and trying them out in new games. Right. Uh, at Collector Cast says Demon Attack. Space Invaders got the ball rolling, but I'd rather play Demon Attack. I- I'm kind of with you there. I I generally would rather play Demon Attack, although I do think they're uh, different enough from one another that uh, you know you can still kind of see the uniqueness in each one. The cover art certainly is unique. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and always will be iconic. Yes. All right, our next comment comes to us from Ant Fireshark MD, also known as Corkman. Crisis Wayne. He copies Tachujin O, but I can get at least somewhere in it without getting destroyed quickly. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Yeah, Crisis Wayne is, I'm hoping, one that we can maybe do next year because. I think there's a physical coming out next year. Yeah, there is. Um, I, who is it? Uh, I think it's Video Games New York is, yep, is going to be handling that one. Um, because they handle the offshoots from East Asia Soft, right? They're like the American uh, publisher for East Asia Soft. N- no, I think they're uh, doing the uh, North American publishing for um, Pixel Heart, aren't they? On some of that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, I know. It's getting confusing. Yeah. You know, the, the only one that I know for certain isn't publishing anything is our favorite Dispatch Games. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> the rest, I get confused. Yeah, well, that was uh, 200 bucks down the drain. I should start just calling them Distressed Games. Mm. Distressed or Distressed Games. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry to end on down out there. What's <laughs> the okay. next one? Uh, at SPM underscore NSW says, Super Hydora. Heavily influenced by the classics and really well done. I wish it had an endgame bonus for lives remaining to avoid CP milking, but alas, still a great survival shmup. Yeah. Yeah, Super Hydora is, yeah, that's another good one I want to cover. Um, I... We got the Switch version that's coming out. Yep. Well, the Switch physical, I should say. The PS4 physical's been out for a while. 
and then they sort of had the prequel, right? Just the regular Hydor, which I think is free on his website. Yeah, the original Hydora release is free, and then Super Hydora is essentially the same game, but with some additional content. Sounds good to me. We'll definitely try and get to it before uh, before 2025, or before most people can get a PlayStation 5, whatever comes first. <laughs> All right, our next one comes from to us from at STG Schmups. The answer is in your summer game of choice, Raiden. Raiden does nothing original. Well, okay, I'll get you a toothpaste laser, but it became the smash hit of arcade Schmups in the era. Yeah, Raiden is something we'll talk about earlier, but Raiden is by its long, by its wholesome. It's not anything striking, but it is very solid. And is something that w- would be the culmination of what we had seen throughout the mid to late 80s. Now, right before ne- the pivotal change in arcades came in 1991 with Street Fighter 2. But we'll talk about more about that later. Yeah. At Queloid Suave, uh, in replying to uh, uh, STG Shmup, says, I find Raiden super original, actually. Which I thought was an interesting statement, and definitely hmm. something that we'll have to uh, break down as we talk about the game. Yeah, I mean, I do like Super Raiden, I, but I don't think that's what it means in the context there. <laughs> All right. Red Book Audio does not make something original, unfortunately. Uh, true. Uh, speaking of Raiden, our next comment comes to us from at WLTR3565. Raiden 1 comes into mind. They're probably just my bias as a Topolon fanboy. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being a Topolon fanboy. You know, I, I have to say with some of the originality too, I think probably some from the people walking along the, with stage one with the cows and people walking along. It, it certainly has a little bit of the living, breathing world that you get. It's not, you know, and we'll talk about the Micronic Sport later, but it doesn't feel like 1942 where everything just felt desolate and devoid of life. There is some activity going on. Right. Uh, at Skoush Malosh says, after playing a lot of Hishosame and then jumping into Raiden, I'd agree with you. It feels like Toa Plan, but two games on from Hishosami if they continued on with similar mechanics, if that makes sense. And yeah, I think it does make sense. Our next comment comes to us from Last Emperor Jub. Blazing Chrome is my favorite Contra game. Androdunas 2? It looks familiar, but has really fun core gameplay. Yeah, I think that if Raiden was the most requested, probably Androdunos 2 would be a runner-up. And that's another title that I definitely want to get to sometime soon. Yep. Uh, at Pony Tatsujin says, Very ob- very obvious question here. Kamui, taking the lock-on system from Rayforce while also using the lightning strike from Raystorm, but adding a few little tweaks to make it an extremely fun uh, bullet hell that I like testing new controllers with. 
Yeah, I'm not sure I would classify Kamui as bullet hell, but it certainly has its moments. Uh, you can, I can see how you can certainly break controllers with Kamui, though. <laughs> Our next comment comes to us from at Mark 2 responding to Pony Tatsujit. I second Kamui, but man, did I love how dynamic the stages were. I played it with zero expectations and was blown away at what the developers tried and succeeded in doing. The STG I loved that you could pick up your weapon from the start of the level and use it to your taste, but clearly saw how some weapons were just superior in any given moment. More balance would have been nice, but it seemed that no other developer pursues that style of play. Or maybe Strike Gunner as is excuse me, localized in the USA. Yeah, Strike Gunner STG. I don't know. That one. That one I've never really got on with. No, I it, there's some things that just don't gel with me no matter how much people other people seem to love them. That's okay. Yeah. At Need New Shorts says Gun Neck. It's basically Zevius, but so much better. <laughs> Yeah, I think that probably Compile would be a second or third, depending upon if we were doing a rank list, or maybe Gradius at the top, for amount amount of times the system's been copied. And Gun Neck, or the Compile system, has definitely been used quite a bit, even, even by themselves as being cloned. Yeah. So our next comment comes to us from at Stephalopod1. One million Gladius or Gradius clones enter the chat. Yes, indeed. Um, we were just talking about Super Hydora there, and even my pick for this is a Gradius or Gladius clone. Uh, at, Real Lord, at Real Lord Dalek says Wild Guns. Barring that, Metal Slug. Yeah, I, I think Wild Guns probably did the gameplay the best where you get from the, the start. There was two arcade games that did this, right? There was Kadash, which is the most widely known one. And then there was, I think it, is it, it's not Wild Blood or what, what's it called? Um, it's made by the same team who did it. It's a Western-themed one. Oh. They did two of them. Yeah, I can't but think of. Kadash is the most known one. Well, I, wait, I don't think Cabal, um, Cabal, sorry. Oh, yes, Cabal, yes. The, the, the other C, C game. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, um, but, yeah, Cabal is the one that came out on the Nintendo as well, so that was, let's see here, what the heck was the, uh, I know it's going to come to me as I'm, Thinking about this here. Blood Brothers. That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Blood Brothers is the... Made by, should be made by the same people. Gotcha. I'm there. Fire that up in MAME. All right. Yep. And I, I guess in some ways you can sort of get along the lines of the uh, Operation Wolf type games, Operation Thunderbolt, and... Um, See, there was a couple of Rambo games that played out that way. And then there was uh, Dynamite Duke, I think it was. 
they came to Genesis, that was our key conversion that was, was that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of games. But I, I think most people are familiar with Cabal. And then, of course, Wild Guns. Yep. Our, next, our last comment comes to us from Ant Venushmup. I think Rival Megagun is super original, even compared to Twinkle Star Sprites. Yeah, Twinkle Star Sprites may have done it first, but a lot of people seem to really love Rival Megagun. Yeah. It's one of the things that we should try out. Yeah, it, it's one of those that I have kind of slept on. And so at some point, I definitely need to, um, I definitely need to check that one out. Isn't there one more than just Twinkle Star Sprites where they're sort of like competitive shmup? I swear there was one on the Neo Geo that maybe I'm missing. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I, I'm not aware of another one on the Neo Geo besides okay. Twinkle Star Sprites. Yeah, I could be wrong, and you know, the, I'm on my fourth cup of coffee right now to stay awake, so anything's possible. Yeah, there, there's um, oh, what's it called? There's another one that's sort of a one-on-one. Almost like a shmup fighting game. Gosh, now I'm going to forget what it is. Um, but it's not for the Neo Geo. It's a PC or something like that. No, it's a it's an old arcade shmup. And like I said, it's sort of like a fighting game where you've got one player at the bottom, one player at the top, and you're shooting at each other. And there are other enemies or debris or different things. Um, uh, Change Airblade. That was the name. Oh, okay. Yeah. But unlike Twinkle Star Sprites or Mega- Rival Mega Gun, you don't have one player on the left and one player on the right in a sort of head-to-head puyo-puyo kind of of look. It's more direct head-to-head where you're top and bottom and you're shooting at each other, kind of like the uh, kind of like the bonus stages, a vertical version of the bonus uh, areas or head-to-head areas in um Atomic Robo Kid. You know, with all the speaking of that, that wouldn't be a bad idea. It seems like a lot of the ideas are just little spins or little iterations upon the mechanics. How about what it would be neat to see a shmup version of? I mean, think of a versus Pac Man in the way that they sort of turned that onto it, its head in some ways. I would love to see a that explored in the shmup space. And I, I don't mean stuff like Galaga in the world's largest version of Galaga or versus Galaga might be a little neat, but something along those lines would be fun to do. Maybe you can do it with the Space Invaders theme. I don't know. Hmm. It would certainly be neat to do. I'm sort of thinking like Rampart meets uh, Space Invaders. That could be interesting. Uh, I'm th- I'm thinking about that, or um, there's a very a pretty rare cocktail from the game. I think it's called Wizards or Wizard Warfare. I'm trying to think of the. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> where everybody it came out for the 2600 too, where everyone's got their own little spot they defend. I think it was played along the lines of Pawn, where there's a ball in the middle and people are you're trying to defend your fortress and it got into the middle. It would cause your fortress, you basically lost a round. But I think there was a four-player version of that cabinet, a cocktail cabinet that was pretty rare. I know, I, I, if I remember correctly, the Wizard of War, I think, was the title that there was a 
cocktail cabinet that was oh, very yes. yes and it was a four player cocktail something along those lines would be pretty neat if it was done with shmups where you're each protecting your base something where you're trying to go out and get the other's base and it's a lot of ways it plays in similar to rampart right the three-player version of rampart yeah something like that would be neat to do and, and would be unique for doing an arcade game is uh, I tried the world's largest version of Galaga and it didn't really do much for me and there. I need, I need something more interactive, something more party game. Right. And I think that the versus Pac-Man was a good start. And, but the ideas there could also apply to shmups pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Four players zeroing. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, some, some other players set you up the bomb. All your credit are belong to us. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. So, what, what's your pick for this? Um. Well, obviously, you know, I, I framed the question around the idea that we were going to be talking about Raiden this month, and that that Raiden is often considered uh, a you know, the Toa Plan game that wasn't um, in a lot of ways. But, I don't know. Another one that I think you know, looking at at uh, so many of these games, it, it occurs to me that there are a lot of, of games like this that are, that are derivative. Particularly early on in the development of the genre as you started to see uh, as you started to see a lot of these games that were coming out in rapid succession, um, sort of in the early early to mid-80s, I'll say, pre-Gradius, uh, there was a lot of this stuff coming out. Uh, one of those examples would be Capcom's uh, X to X's. Uh, and I think it's a solid enough game that sort of apes Zevius a little bit, but not completely. It's a very basic shoot-em-up, and uh, in some ways it's almost like a slightly more sophisticated version of their previous game, Volgus, uh, Capcom's previous game. So it's almost Capcom ripping themselves <laughs> off in a way. But, you know, it's, it's one of those that I think is solid and fun. It doesn't do anything remarkable or new and different but it's just a good time you know you throw a couple of credits in blow up some stuff and have fun you know it doesn't have to be any more any more complicated than that yeah no i I could definitely see that that ties in with my pick as well where the company decided to rip themselves off and i i think it probably eclipses for the or largely eclipsed the original series I would have to say for me it's Proteus or the Proteus series mm. they took the Gradius stuff and made it a farce of it but the farce works in many ways better than this source material and it really gives you unique combination you know like who would have thought well let's have a flying octopus why not or bunny girl stuff that people are still aping its style 
today in the sort of joke upon I mean look at even on the the PC engine with uh, shoot now the name escapes me oh I mean that fifth cup of coffee yet the <laughs> um, the CD-ROM ROM version the one that has Bomberman and the PC engine that shoots CDs oh Star Parodier Star Parodier yep I mean that was undoubtedly inspired by Parodius and then they had one that never came out that was uh, that that Sega did that came out was weird for this TurboGrafx-16 it's a uh, oh sorry no CD-ROM-ROM it was the parody that had um, Opa Opa in but it was a Space Harrier game Oh, it, it yes. never came out. They did that one that was a parody of that, too. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I can't. Was that. It's okay. Was that Space Fantasy Zone? That could be Space Fantasy Zone. But, uh, my point is that in the parody started out to just make fun of and ape the mechanics of Gradius and. Ended up, in my opinion, surpassing it, and I, I would rather play Parodius any day of fire up. What, whether it's you know the, the super sexy or the uh, DOS DOS series, or you know, even the original Parodius on the MSX versus playing one of the Gradius titles. I could see that. It, they're they're, they're car- cartoon fun. Yeah, yeah, very much. So. And I'm ho- ho- hopefully we can play uh, sexy Parodius sometime in the next couple of years. Yeah, it sure would be nice if Konami would uh, would you know start bringing some of those games out through arcade archives or find a way to bring those out on modern consoles. Yeah, are any of the Parodius series on the arcade archives? Not yet. Huh. Maybe they think it's too, it's like um, well, Goemon is on right. The arcade version is. Is it? Yeah, I was thinking maybe they thought they're too Japan at this point, but that was why they didn't bring anything over after Legend of the Mystical Ninja, supposedly. <sighs> but it, it, we're a far cry from two thousand from nineteen ninety three now. So true, and I mean, Arcade Archives has Pistol Daimyo, so. <laughs> Parodius yeah, is go. is tame by comparison. Indeed. Uh, you know, or even looking into some stuff, I'm sure there's probably at least ten copies of some some Ninja Jaja Maru game out there on <laughs> Archive Archives. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I uh, or even Pocky and Rocky on there. I mean, I'm surprised that we actually got those two in the West. Right. Or three in the West, I should say. Yeah, three huh. now. No, it's four now. Pocking Rocky, Pocking Rocky 2, Pocking Ra- Rocky with Becky or plus Becky on oh, the Game Boy Advance. Yes. And then, yes, the the sort of greatest hits version. Right. Which it just came out recently. So, should we jump into the news? Well, uh, before we do that, I thought we'd take a couple of minutes and, and talk about our focus shot. Uh, of Mushihime-sama. Uh, I don't have a lot to say this month. 
Yeah, th- I didn't really focus on the focus shot either. Yeah, I just didn't have much time. I mean, I I honestly didn't do nearly as much gaming this last month as I wanted to. Um, but the one thing I will say is one of the things that I'm learning, well, two things that I'm learning, I should say, are, number one, I need to play this game more because I find that if I'm away from it for too long, when I come back, I'm terrible. And even though I have a degree of muscle memory for stage one and stage two, I still get tripped up. And uh, it makes it hard to progress because then I'm constantly trying to refine and rebuild that muscle memory again for those areas. So I need to find a way to squeeze more time with the game into my schedule so that I can progress more. Because, kind of leading to my second point, I'm beginning to understand a lot more clearly why so many shmup players use and abuse and love save states. And why so many prefer to play on MAME and emulator platforms rather than legit copies or real hardware. Uh, With the exception of things like the M2 shot triggers ports and stuff like that, where M2 actually gives you save states and good practice modes and things like that. But I'm beginning to understand more why players like these conveniences so much, because it really does help you to hone in on the areas that, um, that you really are weak in and gives you the opportunity to attack those areas much more specifically in a targeted manner and work on those things so that you can try to overcome those uh, those weak points and then really solidify the overall uh, the overall approach that you're going to take. Case in point, you know, I was messing around with it earlier and uh, using the training feature. And so that gave me the opportunity to jump right to the stage two boss, for example, because the stage two boss, for some reason, still trips me up. There are a couple of its patterns that if I don't, if I don't make the same exact movements all the time, I can still get, I can still get tripped up. Um, and there's just enough, there's just enough RNG with the very first pattern that, um, cause I think part of it is based on your movement, uh, because it's sort of loosely aimed. So there's just enough RNG there that if I, if I don't move in time or I move too far or whatever, I can get myself into a bad situation. So being able to quickly restart the boss over and over again to sort of build that familiarity over is really helpful. Um, So, yeah, but all of that to say, I really need to concentrate on this game a little bit more so that I can really begin to get to the point where I can do stage one through three without problems. I can do bosses one through three without bombing and then really start focusing in on stage four so that I can finally start, you know, getting toward the end of the game. 
Yeah, I, I think to your point of being safe uh, states becoming a necessity, for those of you who remember the VCRs and having to constantly have to rewind in order to get to your favorite spot in a movie versus discovering DVDs and the ability to chapter select, I mean, it, it, it definitely is a game changer in ability to practice and learn different patterns and try out new stuff without having to repeat the entire thing over and over again, hoping to get the same situation. It really is a requirement for things for your master of the game. And I think that a lot of arcade games are, or these remasters that we're seeing, regardless if it's M2 or not, majority of them are starting to have at least training modes in there now. Even look at the stuff by Livewire, right? The Livewire stuff, even though it's a port, the Mushi is a port of the... Uh, excuse me, is, a, is very similar to the Steam or PC port. It still has those quality of life features in. And I, I realize why people are going over to stuff like Shmup Mame and stuff in order to get those save states so that way they can practice and then perform on real hardware. There's, in fact, a <laughs> great example here with the write-in for this month. I was predominantly working on the Mister on here. I fired up the rating project and started playing that and then used save states to get a better feel of how things are is uh, a little spoiler here once you get to stage six Raiden becomes uh quasi and not really quasi but maybe proto bullet hell <laughs> you know it, it's pretty darn hard and the ability to just jump to that and start practicing was a godsend yeah so as far as Mushi, I, I definitely muscle memory. I it come back to I'm still stuck primarily on stage three because I just haven't put in the time. It's my own fault on that one. But again, I, I found a little bit hard because I was drawn back into the arcade last month and had other family affair, affairs to deal with. And when I was in the arcade there, I felt the lure of pinball, which just sucks up time like none other for me. Right. So it, it was time well spent, but it it was time away from this game. So I'm hoping to get some more time in this month. Sounds good. All right. Now on to the news that you can use. Indeed. So first bit of news is Ray's Arcade Chronology announced by Taito. To compile arcade versions of Rayforce, Raystorm, and Ray Crisis for modern consoles. M2 is handling the ports, and the release is set for March 9th, 2023. Currently slated for Switch and PS4. In Amazon Japan Prime Day, exclusive content of R-Gear, which is the originally scrapped Rayforce sequel. Do we know if that is Prime Day that you have to order on Prime Day in order to get it, or if that's... That's my understanding based on some interpretations I've seen on Discord of the Japanese tweets. So if you hmm. pre-order the game on Amazon Prime Day from or on Prime Day from Amazon Japan, then you get the essentially you get the DLC code bonus for our gear. Now, I think that means you probably have to have an a Japanese PSN or right. eShop account in order to uh 
uh, in order to redeem that. But the the thing that's well, it's annoying that they're doing that because it's such a it's been such a mystery that that this game, you know, never came out. But it's also annoying because you know, hopefully they're not going to lock this uh, this game to just DLC. I mean, I'm hopeful that someone will pick this up for a wider international physical release and uh, have that included on um, you know on the on the cart or disc like we get with um, like we like similar to what we got with the um, the switch version of the uh, uh, Darius cosmic revelation which included that Game Boy uh, version of Sagaya, I believe it was. So I'm hoping that we have a similar situation. But the interesting thing about Argear is, of course, Argear was supposed to be the direct sequel to Rayforce. Um, but the development apparently didn't get very far. I've seen different reports. Some people say there's only one stage in, uh, in the game, and there was some footage that is available out on YouTube um, of the game playing, and it looks a lot like Rayforce. It's basically the same game engine or or assets, you know, with some changes. Uh, there are some reports that there were two levels completed in a version of the game that was dumped at one point from a test PCB or some, some kind of... Uh, maybe it might have been floppy disks from the development environment. But in any case... Based on the screenshot that shows in the tweet, there's speculation that this is one of those situations where maybe M2 was going to take the framework that was built with the original R-Gear bones and flesh it out into more of a full game. Because the screenshot apparently doesn't show anything that has been released or seen of our gear so far. Um, so if that's the case and M2 makes a full game out of our gear, that would be really cool because obviously there are a lot of people who love Rayforce but are not crazy about Raystorm. That's not me. I, I quite like Raystorm and uh, I think it's... Uh, a, lo a logical follow-up from Rayforce, given the shift in arcades toward 3D hardware. Um, but that said, I also really like Rayforce, so seeing a full 2D sequel in the style of the original game would be cool, and it's certainly something that that uh, I would want to play. So, yeah, uh, I'm hoping that it doesn't just get locked to this one avenue and we do have a way to play it even if it's like a timed exclusive where it eventually gets released so that anybody can buy the DLC uh, later on or that it may be included in a physical release when it finally does come out well here's the thing with them too I mean they did an experiment with um, was it with the Topline that they did this where 
half of it was on disc, half of it had to be the DLC? Well, yeah, with the Teleplan Arcade Garage releases that they're doing, if you buy the physical, you get not only the arcade games, but then you also get the, uh, the console ports included and all of that. Whereas if you buy the digital release of, let's say, the Hishu Same 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 collection, you only get the arcade versions. And then if you want the DLC or if you want the console ports, then that's extra as DLC. Or the other bonus non-shmup arcade game is bonus DLC. Yeah, I mean, it sort of feels like a glass half empty, half full, but I think that that in this case, I'm more hopeful that this will just be an appendum, another part of DLC that will be also sold separately. If you basically, if you buy in Prime Day, you get the cope for free. But if you didn't, then you can just pay him ten bucks or whatever, and then you get the DLC. It wouldn't surprise me too if this was came stateside via limited run games, which is known to have a pretty good working relationship with them too. And say of Dag- Dangum Fever on, I almost said Dagum, <laughs> Dagum Fever, and uh, Dangum Fever, and out there they did uh, Grega. There, I'm. I know they're certainly doing a lot more live wire releases this year, but it wouldn't surprise me to see another M2 release in there. Yeah. So let's hope that at some point we uh, we do see the R Gear release available in uh, in a more wide fashion. Uh, Astroport has announced Armored Lab Force Vol Vehicles, a vehicle-based run-and-gun slash shmup hybrid. Um, this is something that just got announced here within the last few days, I guess, as we record this. And all I can say by looking at the art for the game, the key art for the game, is if you're a fan of... The waifu side of of shmups, this might be up your alley. But it does kind of look like a fun game. It's sort of like, um, if you think of the vehicle portions of Blaster Master, or the Blaster Master Zero games, but you have the ability to hover and fly a little bit more readily, and that's all the game is, is the side-scrolling... Uh, drive, jump, and hover, fly, slash, you know, then shoot enemies and stuff, um, then, yeah, that's that might be a game that interests you. I think I speak for most of our audience here when I ask, does it come with giant mutated frogs? Because if there's no giant mutated frogs in the game, then eh, I'm not so sure. I cannot speak to that. I did not see any in the trailer, but that doesn't mean that they're not there. Mm -hmm. We'll have to wait and see. We also have a new indie shmup named A2 Zygon in development. Now, I don't know too much about this other than, obviously, it's in development. Can you fill us in on the details? Yeah. um, This is from uh, developer uh, Soldirix at SolidSpy24 on uh, Twitter and it looks very interesting. It sort of has a an almost NES kind of aesthetic. Very NES 
by way of Zero Ranger, but with a larger color palette. I don't know, it's hard to it's hard to categorize, but it sort of looks like an NES style Don Maku. It uses a, a floating protagonist a la Esperade or something like that. Yeah, it, it, to me, it almost looks in some ways. I know it's aping for the Nintendo style, but it looks. It's got too many colors to be in there. It's. It definitely tries and goes for more of a, like a, a twelve-bit aesthetic, maybe. Yeah, that's that, that, That's how I like to classify it. You know, it's it's sort of like. Um, uh, oh, what's the what's the game? Um, well, it, it reminds me a lot of the style that you would get from, um, not Castle from sort of like Shovel Knight is a little bit maybe better graphic. I don't want to say better, but more like 16-bit graphics than you would see with this. But this this definitely has the style in here that you would get with a lot of your retro realists. There's that... Uh, a g- game that I, I particularly, I'm trying to think of the name, but you ordered it from Limited Runs not too long ago with the, the Metroidvania with the, oh, the three characters. Yeah, Axiom Verge Grissom. 2. No, not Axiom Verge 2. The, um, the one where you swap out between a wizard, there's a knight, and then there's a thief. Um, and Metroidvania, oh shoot. <laughs> this is a bit, so this, this is the one podcast where we can't remember any of the names. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, the uh, you know what, what I'm trying to the oh, son of a gun what is copy what no the, what's the one that, that you ordered but I didn't um, it started with an E I think um, games hold on uh, not Ender Lilies um not Monster Sanctuary. Oh, plumbers don't wear ties. That's it. No. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's the uh, you will order it because you because I asked you. I was about to, but I just didn't have the money, and you said that uh, someone else liked it. Uh, Pam. Oh. What's that game? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. I just can't think of the name off the top of my head. But yeah. 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 But I know I'm what you mean. And, and Shovel Knight was the game I was trying to come up with uh, earlier. Where, yeah, it sort of has that that aesthetic that kind of looks too good to be 8-bit. But it doesn't quite have the vibrant or detailed look that you would get in a in a higher quality Sega Genesis game or a Super Nintendo game oh. of a 16-bit. So it kind of has that, what I what I like to refer to as 12-bit aesthetic, because it's somewhere in between. Astalon. Tears of the Earth. Yes, Astalon. Tears of the Earth, yes. And, and I guess in some ways people could be thinking that La Mulana is another one that comes sort of close on there where it's not quite... To, I mean, it's very close. Although La Mulana might be more closer to 16-bit, but it sort of gets you get along those lines. Astalon is probably the better example, right? 
<clears throat> still, I mean, it, de it definitely looks interesting. Uh, with the muted color palette, it reminds me also of, um, what's that Project Orange, but no, um, what's that, you know, that's no, oh shoot, again, I forgot the name. The the orange, well, you mentioned it earlier, the orange one, uh, oh, Zero Ranger. Zero Ranger, Zero yeah. Ranger. It reminds me of Zero Ranger with the muted palette. Right. So it definitely has the potential to be a good, good game. Hopefully, it, hopefully it becomes a, a RPG staple when it's released in December 2022. <laughs> and speaking of staples, we got our next news item, which is a well-known person and a well-known series. Yeah. Uh, so the Electric Underground, Mark MSX. Uh, he did a video recently on the Gradius series, sort of a retrospective, and he had uh, Kyo Kusagani as a special guest covering the series. And that was a, a fun watch, the two of them sort of going through ranking the Gradius games and uh, talking about the development and evolution of the series. Definitely worth a watch. And then we all, not only Markman keeping busy, but Shmup Junkie is hard at work on a video covering all Mega Drive slash Genesis shooters. Yeah, this will definitely be something I look forward to. And there better be some footage of him throwing the giant fish pillow at Timmy. <laughs> well, I can tell you what will be in the video is some footage of my hand and arm inserting cartridges into a Model 1 Sega Genesis and a JVC XI um, because a couple of us in Junkies Discord volunteered to do footage of us inserting cartridges into the systems the way that he did for his uh, full PC Engine uh, uh, review video and so myself and Giggity Wing and a couple of others filmed ourselves or recorded ourselves inserting cartridges uh, because we actually owned some of these games and so some of the physical copies that I had that uh, that Junkie didn't have I set up a, a little folding table with a Genesis and the box there and then you know inserting the cartridge so you'll see a little bit of footage of me but just my hand and my arm <laughs> dropping that stuff into the console in front of my shelf full of Genesis games. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that, but right now, based on the the two-game teaser video that he put out recently, um, it's unlisted, so you can't watch it unless you're a member of his Discord and have the direct link, but based on that alone, I think it's going to be an epic video. Um, right now he's saying it's something, something in the three-hour mark. But it's going to be awesome. Wow, that's a long runtime. But yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I suspect, or at least hopeful, that the Truxton review comes to us from the Intergalactic Game Room. Oh, uh, yes, the Intergalactic Space Arcade. Ah, yes. Um, there are a couple of, I, I would call them more marquee shooting game titles that have recently released. You've got Pocky and Rocky Reshrined, which some don't consider to be a pure shmup, but certainly is in the conversation as an overhead run-and-gun with many shmuppy elements. 
And then you also have Eurokill, the Columniation Games, which is something that I had to look at twice to make sure I was saying it right. Uh, that's been published now here in the West by NIS America. And it's sort of an interesting visual novel shoot 'em up hybrid. And it's one of those things where once you play through the story mode with the full visual novel, you can unlock the um, the gameplay where you can go back and play just the shmup portion. And so that'll be an interesting one to look at. But it was developed uh, in part by uh, G-Rev. And so that'll be a, uh, an interesting one to kind of look at. Yeah, Pocky and Rocky is definitely something I'm looking forward to. Playing. I don't care about the controversy or what people think. It looks to be just a fun sort of greatest hits of the Pocky and Rocky series. And similar to the way that Shredder's Revenge was a greatest hits culmination of the NES Game Boy and uh, arcade titles for the Turtles. I know that some people are disappointed that the Shredder's Revenge isn't a direct sequel to the arcade games. It's more of a modern take on it, but... You know, I've been playing with my son and I enjoy it, so I'm hoping to get the same type of enjoyment out of Pocky and Rocky. And Yuri Kill, heck, I've, it sounds wacky, so I already like it. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like Danganronpa and a shmup all combined. So, why not? Yeah. Uh, Nichibitsu Shooter Big Fighter is public on the Mr. FPJ Core, an R-Type Core in development, as well as a full M72 Core. I think the M72 Core is what's running uh, R-Type. Okay. If I remember, that's the hardware that's on. But I don't. I'm trying to think of. I think M82 is what's running in the hunt, so we'll have to wait for that one. Hopefully soon. But the. Uh, recently released K-Core now has Don Pachi. So, you know, hopefully, if you're looking for more bees, the mister has it for you. Just a couple more shots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gotta love announcer Bob. Uh, speaking of uh, more games being released here. We got a couple couple more through Arcade Archives. Uh, a couple of Namco games, actually. Uh, Dragon Saber has been announced, and so that'll be coming soon. That, of course, is the sequel to Dragon Spirit. And uh, I don't believe we've ever had a Dragon Saber release in the West. So this, as far as I'm aware, should be the first time that this game has ever come stateside. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then what's actually come out here recently is a, a Namco arcade shooter called Thunder Scepter. And this is sort of an interesting um, rail shooter of sorts. A very kind of early Star Fox type of thing where you're flying into the screen. Uh, kind of think of, of the Super Nintendo game Hyperzone but an earlier, more primitive version of that. Uh, looks like it, it could be fun. Hmm, I'm going to check it out. So, we also have Octane's Blind Shmup Kumate, Kumete series. 
It has been very active recently, including a June 26th run of Raiden Fighters between Octane and Desmaku. And I apologize for butchering those, but I did go to the Mark MSX uh, School of Japanese Pronunciation. Right. Yeah, and unfortunately when Octane ran this, I I missed it uh, because it started, I think, while I was still at work. Uh, so I didn't get to watch it, but I'm gonna have to go back and and scope that on the uh, on his YouTube channel and uh, and take a look at that. Um, yeah, uh, that should be good. Uh, Bullet Soul and its sequel, Bullet Soul Infinite Burst, are coming to the Nintendo Switch uh, September 9th in Japan and September 22nd worldwide from what I was able to glean. And that's pretty cool because from a console perspective, it has been locked on the 360. Now, those games have been released on Steam, but it is nice to see that it will be available uh, more widely uh, for console audiences as well. You know, I'm willing to bet that uh, Limited Run or uh, Strictly Limited will pick those up. I'm pretty certain we'll see a physical of those. Probably. Uh, and speaking of physicals, we have a, a double pack that's coming out with from Limited Run Games. It's available until July 24th. We have Raiden 4, Mikado Edition, and Raiden 5, all in one package, so you get your coffee and you get your crystals. Yeah. All in one convenient cart. And when I first saw this announcement, I thought, this seems like a very useless release, because we already have Raiden 4 across Mikado, and we have Raiden 5, because we got a physical of it on the Switch. But, I was... uh, I was quickly disabused of that notion because apparently the physical for Raiden 5 quickly sold out, has not been reprinted, and is now going for more than Crazy the original money. retail. Yeah, there was there were some listings on eBay that were a hundred dollars. So Yeah. T- crazy taxi crazy money. Yeah. So I guess uh, you know I guess it's you know a good thing that somebody else is is making it available again. You know what's funny is because this game has received so much excuse me publicity since that it even brought up the PS4 version. The PS4 version used to be dirt cheap, like twelve dollars or something. Now it's in like thirties to forties. Oh wow! Yeah, and see, I, for my money, the PS4 version is the way to go. Oh, certainly. Certainly, because the PS4, remember the graphics were downscaled for the Switch version anyways, but the, uh, 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 yeah, I don't know, maybe people really thought the cheer system would work better for the Switch, but I mean, if you ask me for all the Raiden titles to play, Raiden 5 is definitely not on my top five. Yeah, see, and I continue to be a Raiden 5 defender. Um, it's serviceable, sure, but it's not... It's not no. It's nowhere near. It's sort of like saying, "Well, hey, we're going to come out with Gradius Four. It's like, yeah, cool. I like Gradius Four, but if I want to play Gradius, I'll, I'll play Gradius Two or Gradius Five, maybe even Gradius One before I go play Gradius Four. Sure, I understand that. 
I mean, it's it's the weakest link to me, at least, the weakest link in a strong line of series. Not my first choice, but definitely do not sleep on the Raiden Five and the Raiden Four double pack. Yes, yeah, specifically now that we are in the summer of Raiden. Or you may be struck by lightning. <laughs> So, speaking of this summer uh, of uh, Thunder and Lightning, who joined us to kick off? Well, of course, it was uh, you and I. Uh, We also had Silius, and uh, we had several players who joined via Discord, including Mighty Squirrel, Orc Commander, SPM, Dubs, Scoush, and Schlarp. And then uh, from our our set of, of uh, regulars and semi-regulars, we had Corkman, Geriatric Don Maku, Easy Racer, and Fomacho. I like the name Schlarp. It sounds like it could be a, either a knockoff or maybe a cousin to uh, Snarf from the Thundercat series. <laughs> uh, it's the cheap Chinese knockoff version. Schlarp. Schlarp and Robert Cop. <laughs> Robert Cop. <laughs> yes. Yep. Speaking of which, aren't they supposed to be releasing or doing another RoboCop game? I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Yes, they are. That would be interesting that turned into running gun. I mean, the Data East, not, well, it was Data East, but it, the arcade games had some interesting things. At least the first one was interesting. The second one was, uh, yeah. Well, the second the one was one. interesting, too, because it was sort of like RoboCop the beat-em-up. Well, the, the second, if you're talking about the second arcade one... Right. That's a totally different animal. If you're talking about the NES one, oh, heck no. Oh, right. There, there's a reason why there's an AVGN episode on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, but this, yeah, the arcade one is interesting. I, I do like that. It's sort of like the differences between a hook on the console versus hook on the arcade. Definitely different gameplay. Anyways, so let's talk about the first game in the Raiden series. So the developer was Seibu, uh, excuse me, Seibu Denchi, which was founded in 1982 in Chiodaku. Tokyo, Japan, and their first game released was Steiner, which is a side-scrolling STG built on a vertical monitor like Scramble, with backgrounds that have been angled to to look <coughs> that have an angled look to them. The company later changed their name to Seibu Kaihatsu in 1984, sometime after the release of the arcade shooting game Skyon. <coughs> now, if I remember correctly, it wasn't Skyon. What was the what was the game that they developed with the mascot, the Blue Dragon? Was that Wizard or Orb? Or what's? Do you know what the name of the game is? Uh, I don't remember specifically which of the which of the games they developed that uh, contained the the mascot. Uh, let me look. <laughs> blue, the blue Godzilla-like creature. Yes. Seibu Kahatsu did some subcontracting for Taito throughout the 80s, including games like Knuckle Joe, 
Empire City 1931 and Panic Road. He also released a shoot 'em up called Air Raid, which is known as Cross Shooter Internationally through Taito, which hasn't been emulated yet but looks like Raiden by way of Twimby. Other notable, excuse me, other notable Saibu games include Dead Angle and Dynamite Duke, which we talked about earlier. There, you got your semi cabal like game. Both uh, gallery shooters based on the previous work they did on Empire City and Sienku, aka Battle Balls, a puzzle game. Raiden itself was released in 1990 and was a major arcade hit, selling over 17,000 units worldwide. Uh, game Magazine listed is in the July 1st, 1990 issue as the most successful table arcade unit at the time, outperforming Konami's Trigon and Sega's Columns. It ended up at 6th highest grossing arcade game of 1990 and the 5th highest grossing in 1991 in Japan. Now, what's interesting to note is this is sort of the last gaffes of what would be the um, pre-Street Fighter, pre-one-on-one uh, fighter competitive fighting game era. Riding itself is really the culmination of everything that came before it within the from the early 80s such as Zaxxon, even though it doesn't use the Isometrics perspective, but you know, Zaxxon's Spice Invaders, all that stuff through Gradius, uh, up and until well, they, they hit the old school shooters. Would you say arguably hit their peak right around this time? Yeah, I mean, when, certainly the what I would consider the second wave of shooting games, um, which I think probably started with Gradius, uh, I, I think it was probably peaking at this point in time, yes. This is probably the last year that shooting games would rule the arcade and become a major focus. After this, they were still relevant, but it was it gave rise the rise of the Damaku After this, I, I th- we commonly see people say that Raiden is not something that is overly impressive, but it, it's so very well built in place so well that people uh, still culminate to it. It's it's <coughs> excuse me. It it's not revolutionary of its own, but it has enough of its evolutionary steps to make a very solid product. Right. And, and that, that's something See, I've seen also some people online arguing that it could be also referred to as the first proto-Domaku because of how much you have to manage out and watch out for the bullets after stage six. So, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think that this qualifies as a Domaku after stage six or around stage six? <laughs> no, you know, I think... I think people sometimes conflate Danmaku or Bullet Hell with lots of bullets, but I think there's more to it than that. You know, I think you have to have the patterns, and I think you have to have the the smaller hitbox and some of these other things that really make a Danmaku game a Danmaku game. So I there we go. 
I, I, think, I think that's what we're doing. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think I think that you just gave away some of the title that we need to do for a guide episode. What makes a Damaku game Damaku with Mark MSX? Uh, yeah, there you go. But yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a, a clear there's a clear delineation between what makes a good Danmaku game and then what makes a a traditional shoot 'em up just have lots of bullets and in a situation where the developer says, "Give me your money, please." <laughs> I think this is a clear case of the latter. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, and I think that's something that we'll have to revisit with, uh, as previously mentioned, Mark MSX, and see if we can get in nail down what what are the requirements or what makes a Damaku a Damaku. Yeah. So this Fabtech license ride in for distribution in North America, where it also became a big success, and this game. I, I think would be up there for the most ports on any given system. There are a heck of a lot of these. It was ported to the Sega Mega Drive slash Genesis under the title Ride and Trod. And I have to say, I think it was ported by the same people who did Curse, if I remember correctly, for the Genesis version. Oh. And that's why it stands out, because the... It has a scoreboard, sort of scoreboard letterboxing, uh-huh. but at the same time, it gives you that nice vertical aspect ratio, so it, you don't end up with a horizontal, the horizontal, um, uh, the what's the word I'm looking for, vertizontal, right. the vertizontal look that you get with something like Vassar or, or things just appear out. I think the biggest biggest uh, issue that we had with this were. You know, it was something that was horizontal because it didn't fit the resolution. Was the TurboGrafx-16 port of Image Fight, where everything felt off and your hitboxes felt off because they didn't maintain the aspect ratio. So, props off to the Genesis, even though it doesn't have the soundtrack isn't, in my opinion, quite up to par. It's a little bit muted. There, it's certainly a, a very well ported in miles above the Super Famicom or Super Nintendo version. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about Micronics earlier, and uh, yeah, Micronics took over the port of this one and uh, uh, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. Yeah. And not only is the sound terrible on this, it doesn't maintain the aspect ratio, it's the sound effects are terrible if you want to think people you probably would say on the box right in from the same people who ported 1942 <laughs> <laughs> should give you an idea the PC engine versions has around the same issues that the image fight does where the aspect ratio is not really preserved correctly so you get into where you're getting hit and stuff, and it just doesn't feel 100%. It's still pretty well done. Don't get on and I, but it's just it feels a little off, right? I, like Image Fight, I really like the way it looked and it felt very close to the arcade, but at the same time, 
it, it just doesn't didn't preserve that vertical aspect ratio which really throws things off the other part I didn't like about the PC engine maybe you did but the shots sounded like popcorn oh yeah they did and uh of course that's not uncommon with uh a lot of console ports of shooting games from that era you know and the Genesis version really isn't much much different or much better in that regard True. but um yeah I know what you mean yeah, and, and the PC Engine CD version, which is also known as Super Raiden, I think did a pretty cool way uh, with, with Redbook Audio, but it's just the uh, TurboGrafx mm-hmm. or PC Engine version with you know orchestral sound, which... Pretty much. Uh, to be fair, yeah. I mean, R-Type did something a little bit the same way, but the R-Type version did things a little bit better by adding cutscenes. Well, it's and... It's definitely neat. And I think R-Type, uh, Super R-Type, fared better in that regard because it did something interesting and unique with the soundtrack, whereas the uh, Super Raiden... Yeah, it's just a sort of slightly rocky but mostly as you say, symphonic or, you know, orchestral type of soundtrack. Yeah. So, um, But to be fair, a lot, a lot of the games, that, that was no- normal at the time where they would just throw orchestral soundtrack at, on a lot of the stuff. I, I, a lot of the TurboGrafx-16 games were that way. And, and to be fair, a lot of the Sega CD games were, were that way too. Um, but I was thinking about what's... Uh, um, is it Soul Feast I'm thinking of? Oh yeah, Soul Feast and Soul Dece. Yeah, that, that are very similar. In that I, I'm not knocking. I do like the sound of the... Super Raiden, it, it, it just feels like they could have done maybe a little bit more. Now, if it had maybe been like an arcade cart release or something, maybe they could have done a little bit more, but I think it's just a regular CD-ROM-ROM version 3. Something like that. that. Yeah. And then we have the Atari Jaguar port, which is arguably the best port that we've had out of this so far. It's the closest to the arcade, and, and the sound is not quite on there, but it, it's right up there probably with Tempest 2000 as one of the best titles on the Jaguar. Yeah, which is a little sad, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it goes. It is. It's certainly better than the PC port. The PC port's serviceable, but, but it, man, it has some major problems with trying You get sound... Or you get music. You really don't get <laughs> both at the same time. Right. But that's all right. That PC port is what it is. And then we got, of course, the FM FM Towns Marty port, which I hear is the best port out of the lot. I didn't have a chance to try that one. Did you? No, I did not get a chance to uh, uh, to try that one. And then we have the 1997 port on the Atari Lynx. The Atari Lynx port from what I've seen seems to be pretty good for the system but it's still not the best way to play it it's it's neat that you can you of course play the links vertically and play that way but it's more of a novelty yeah the links version is interesting I I'm not even sure what to think about it because you don't really have 
a laser, you sort of have this hybrid shot. So either you get a either you get a, a spread shot of sorts, or you get a less of a spread shot with sort of a rapid fire uh, forward shot. And when you pick up power ups, you get your main shot and your secondary shot at the same time. And the secondary shot, I think, is always homing missiles. And the homing missiles are fairly strong. There's no music in the game. And when you actually play that version, uh, it seems like maybe it's a, a beta build. I don't think it's a final build. Because it's prone to crashing. And I don't know, it's just kind of janky. But... It looks promising, and I think if if Telegames, who, who who put the the version together, would have put a little bit more time and effort into it, I, I really think it could have been a a pretty cool take on the game. But as it stands, it's sort of an interesting curio of its time. Yeah, so it describes me janky but promising. <laughs> right. So, I mentioned earlier that I played the what I consider to be the best way to play this game right now, which, aside from an Arcade Archives release, is to play it on the PlayStation 1 via the Riding Project, which came to North America, There, which bundles Riding and Riding 2, and they're with bonus range soundtracks, a fully 3D intro sequence, and it was also released on the PlayStation Network for PS3 and PSP. Yeah, honestly, I still think this is the best way to play it. Maybe I'll change my mind after I played the arcade archives, but with the save states and flipping through everything on the mister, it just made it really easy to keep trying different portions of it over and over again. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. When I went back through and played this, um, I did a I did a stream a riding smor- smorgasbord. And I played several different versions of Raiden, most of the ones that you mentioned there, uh, minus a couple glaring omissions. But when I finished it off by playing the Raiden Project and firing that up, it felt so good. And it reminded me of when I used to play a decent amount of Raiden and Raiden 2 on the Raiden Project on my PlayStation years ago. Because I bought this game... I got my PlayStation in 98 or 99, and I bought this game probably within the first year of owning the console. Um, so I I played a lot of, of Raiden back in the day, and it always felt really good to play. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. One of the options that you have in the game menus is to to actually rotate the the visual or the the screen so that you get your Tate effect. But for whatever goofy reason, even though you can rotate the the screen orientation, the controls don't rotate. Um, they do in the Japanese version, so you can rotate the the screen orientation and then have the controls stay normal. But in the U.S. release, when you rotate your 
your screen 90 degrees counterclockwise, you have to turn your controller 90 degrees counterclockwise to play it. The only way around that is, my understanding, through a GameShark code of some kind that will allow you to then also rotate your um, your controls back to normal. However, yep. the the upside to that is if you're if you want to play this on PSP, that gives you the chance to do the screen rotation on PSP, and then if you, you turn your PSP on its side, it's just like holding the PlayStation controller in that 90 degrees counterclockwise kind of way. So it actually works very well. And uh, when I took my mini vacation here a few weeks ago, I took my PSP with me and played a little bit of riding in my hotel um, on PSP. And that works. That's really slick. And that's a that's a legit way to play that game. Yeah, it sounds fun. I'll have to try that out. Yeah. Now, you've got in here notes that there is also a Java mobile-based phone version released in 2004 by Com2US. I haven't seen any footage on this, but it'd be, considering it's a Java-based mobile phone release, I'm sure it's uh, hot kasuge. It's interesting. Um, there's actually a, a Java... Um, a Java loader, a J2ME loader for Android phones. And so I I downloaded that and I got a hold of it and I tried it out. It's interesting. It's difficult because of course you you're playing by uh you know, it was a game that would have come out for the older mobile phones that had full keypads and all of that and so you would use your little center directional buttons to control it and then you would use the number keys down below to fire or to drop bombs things like that so of course having to try and use touchscreen touches or presses on a virtual directional thing is not very good uh, and so it, it's harder to play then uh, also, the power-ups, the, the power-up changes color really fast, so it's difficult to uh, time getting the right one so that you can upgrade properly. But it's an interesting port, and I could see if, you know, if I had got myself, if, if this had come out in North America, and I had a capable cell phone in the... 2005 to 2007 range when I had a flip phone if this was a thing that was available to me I probably would have bought it alright well fire up your Motorola Razor let's go <laughs> alright yeah I see what you mentioned those power ups being maybe a little too fast remind me of Sometimes I felt like I was chasing power-ups, even in the the PlayStation version, you know, chasing a over-sugar toddler across the screen. Mm, right. It's So I can only imagine a uh, Java version. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the Raiden Legacy was also released by .emu. 
in 2012. It includes original writing and was released on PC and mobile platforms. I think that's this is the one that's on GOG. I think you're right. And then Raiden was released in Hamster Arcade Archives for Nintendo Switch in 2021. And will also be included in the Astro City Mini V system when it releases later this year. Yeah, Raiden was followed by a direct sequel and a remix of the game known as Raiden DX. It also received a spin. Now, Raiden DX I th- is the sequel, if I remember correctly. Right? Am I thinking that right? Raiden DX is a re- remix of two? Yes. Yep. So it's. N- yeah, and it's a remix of two, but the right. I'm trying to think of yeah, it was a okay. Yeah, I was thinking about the Tate mode that you were talking about earlier, but uh, or as games that calls it Tate mode. But I <laughs> <laughs> I remember that was only that DX was only for Raiden two, which introduced the toothpaste laser. Yep. I was a little disappointed I couldn't use toothpaste in this mode. It's all right. So, we also received a spin-off series known as Raiden, or Raiden Fighters, which uh, we'll talk about in, uh, maybe maybe at the very end here. I'm definitely enjoying playing Raiden Fighters for this month. STG Weekly covered this in episode 86, showcasing a one-loop clear from Player Cream. I have to go back and look, because I'm always enjoying me some STG Weekly. My favorite, though, is the one where they all watch shmup commercials. Some of those are so wacky. <laughs> Shmupulations released a pair of interviews from Saibu Kahatsu, uh, sorry, Sibu Kahatsu, uh, Moss staff regarding Viper Phase 1, which is his spinoff. A 2006 developer interview was translated from the linear notes of Raiden 3 Superplay DVD, and the 1997 interview with Shuichi Mori and... Yoritaka Kasai covers the origins of the company as well as their desire for level realism in their games. And I think that Raiden, maybe other than Gradius, well, it's even longer than that. Raiden, after Raiden Fighters stuff took place, or you could even just kick off with looking at the Raiden 2. Is that the longest time between a sequel and a game? Because the next time it came out was Riding 3 on the PS2, right? In like 2003-2004? I don't even think that even the Gradius <laughs> ports took that long. To go from Gradius... To, uh, Gradius 4 to Gradius 5. I think Gradius 4 was, what, 2001? Yeah, but between one? Gradius 3 and Gradius 4, it was quite a long wait. Yeah, well, it's about 10 years, but we're talking like 20 years here for Riding. Well, it wasn't quite that long, because Raiden 3 was a PS2 game. Right, but Raiden 3 was, what, 2004, 2005, maybe? Either way, it's certainly one of the longer waits that we've had between sequels. Right. All right, everybody get ready. We've got the story coming up next. 80, 20, 90. So, uh, it doesn't have 20XX in here. Oh, well. <laughs> Suddenly, the world is attacked by aliens from outer space. The world has united forces which fight back fiercely. Top world scientists have analyzed wreckage of enemy planes shut down and created a supersonic fighter bomb named Raiden. Okay. However, since these aircrafts are so technically sophisticated, 
There is only one pie in the world able to handle it. The Raiden is just about to take off and the fate of the entire world is depending upon this Raiden. Yeah, originally the enemies were known as the Cranassians. I, I was almost accidentally called them the Cardassians. <laughs> That's right. Cranassians, but this later retconned in favor of the crystals, which the series became no, known for. Yeah, coffee and crystals indeed. So realistically, you could you could say that uh, that the plot for the original Raiden is really just a just a uh, a reality TV series for the military. Keeping up with the Cranassians. Oh, jeez. <laughs> There's our dad, Joe Coda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same way with the Bacterians, right? In the way that we went with the series. On In fact, you could have used Life Force as your example for Ape the Systems and uh, maybe made it better. You, you would, I would think that the Life Force is sort of foregoing the keeping the Gradius gameplay, but foregoing the power-up bar was a little bit of a bold choice that made it, in my opinion, better. Yeah. Yeah, this, this, this story is nonsensical as 98% or 99% of shmups, but it, it gets along just as well. Right. Well, any, any excuse to Pew pew and shoot and go boom. You know that, that's. I think that you just got our next shirt. And it's <laughs> used to pew pew and go boom. There you go. So let's break down some gameplay. Raiden is a two-button game. Uh, you have one button for shot and one button to bomb. Um. Technically speaking, the original arcade release does have auto-fire, but it's one of those things where when you hold the button down, you get one shot, and then as the one shot reaches way out from your ship, then you get another shot. So it really isn't practical to use it in uh, any kind of real-world sense. Uh, There are two primary shot types, and uh, you can earn the power-up icons by taking out these mid-size carrier ships. The first is the Vulcan shot, which is your red power-up type, or uh, Vulcan, I guess you could call it a spread shot as well. And it's essentially a twin shot that fires forward from your plane, and then as you power it up, it spreads out more uh, until max power, where it spans about a 90-degree swath across the screen outwards in front of your ship. Um, there's also the laser shot, which is the blue power-up, and that gives you a forward-firing laser that starts out as these thin, short bursts of laser shots, and then when you power that up to level 2, it creates a larger stream, and then a twin stream, then a triple stream, a quadruple stream, etc., until eventually it becomes a full, wide beam that spans nearly the width of your whole ship and uh, uh, becomes a a very powerful laser beam. Yeah, what's interesting with these and sort of surprised me that 
you it's it, it's sort of taking what's would become the Damaki formula, but it's sort of broken down here, right? You you can't you have you, you you have your typical three button shots that would come later, right? You have your auto fire, your bomb, and then you have your focus shot, and you're not going to have that within this game. So you're sort of switching off between your focus shot, which is your laser shot, and then your Vulcan shot, which is good for popcorn. So interesting, and I've seen it sort of broken down to where the Vulcan shot, along with the homing missiles, is good for dealing with the popcorn. And the laser shot, along with the M power-ups or the more powerful missiles, is good for dealing with the bosses and the mid-sized enemies. And, and that's in line with the way that I play, too. Depending upon the areas that you were dealing with is where you'd swap it out. I, I, but if they had gone to a three-button system where you had a focus shot, you know, you had a regular shot, you hold it down, and you get into the... The, the toothpaste laser is for a bad example because that's probably right in two, but within the laser, I don't think it would have worked as well. I think I think it had to be done here. E even if you're trying to modernize this, I, I don't think you would change the system. Yeah, the the main thing that I would have said is either make auto fire a default, or at least make it a dip switch on the board that operators could enable. Um, or make it a three-button game, and you have one button be auto-fire. Um, yeah, the JAMA standard would allow for that, so you certainly could have done it. Maybe if, <laughs> maybe they said, well, we, we only have this game in here. I, we're trying to make sure we do it cheap, but we do it well. We only got spot for two buttons. That's all you get. Huh, right. Uh, now, the, you also have two sub-weapons that you can pick up, and these are generally hidden in boxes on the ground. Uh, well, not really hidden so much, but um, there are boxes on the ground that you can destroy, and some of those will contain the sub-weapons. So you have the missiles, or the M power-up, uh, sort of the floating M icon. It gives you forward-firing forward missiles and short bursts. Uh, the second time you power that up, it doubles the amount of missiles, uh, and then on the third time, or on the third uh, power-up, then uh, it increases their size and strength. You also have... Yeah, and th that should be noted, too, that when you switch between those two, uh, if you have a laser and you're switching between, or even with the missiles, and you switch between them, let's say you have a laser and then you're powered up to level two and then you hit a, a Vulcan shot, it just switches you over. It doesn't power it up at the same time. Right. Yes. Uh, you also have the homing missiles, or the H power-up icon, which give you a pair of small homing missiles, and then when you power that up uh, a second time, that increases to four missiles, and makes them a little bit larger, and then powering up a third time uh, increases their size and strength again, and makes them f even faster. Uh, there are bomb pickups, which are sort of this spinning B in a triangle, and uh, uh, that each one will add a bomb to your stock. And uh, the one thing I'll say is that the differentiation is with your standard and sub-weapon power-ups is when they spawn, they sort of do this thing where they create a spiral effect similar to a much slower version of the Dreamcast logo, 
you know, when you boot up a Dreamcast, you've got this spiral that starts and kind of goes out uh, several several times around. The power That's because ups, it's thinking. Yeah, it's it's thinking indeed. The power ups in in Raiden do a similar thing, uh, and then of course your your standard power up will cycle back and forth between red and blue, and then your sub weapon power up will cycle back and forth between M and H, and so it's a matter of knowing when and where to capture those to get the upgrade that you want. But the bomb power up does this odd thing where it sort of arcs around a little bit and then bounces off the screen and then arcs another way a little ways. I think it sort of tries to kind of target where you're at so that it, it will reach you, but it's a little weird the way that it works. It's, it's similar to uh, some of the Toa Plan power-ups in that sense where they don't really move where you want them to move or where you think they're going to move. Um, it, it has its kind of its own path. Yeah, I have to say though that the bombs are especially powerful in this game. I, I think that's the reason they're so powerful is they're built upon Texmanium technology. <laughs> and that, that stuff's just killer. Yeah. Oh, and and with the regular power-ups as well, when they go in their spiral, I want to say it's four or five rotations, maybe six, but after they rotate out. A certain number of times they will leave the screen. Uh, there are other pickups that you can get uh, which uh, include medals. Those are in boxes on the ground usually. Uh, there's the Miklus, which uh, you mentioned earlier. That's kind of the Seibu Kaihatsu mascot char character, sort of a little blue dragon. Uh, and then there's a hidden fairy uh, three times throughout the game that you uncover by destroying a piece of scenery. And so there's a, a tree in stage one and stage four that you can destroy. And then in stage six, there's a patch of sand that uh, you can shoot uh, a whole bunch in order to reveal the fairy. There are also two one-ups that you can spawn in the game based on some preset conditions. Uh, one of them in stage four, there's an enemy outpost where there's this sort of center portion and then spread out from that are a couple of channels with two smaller spots. Uh, and so if you destroy the centerpiece, then the two side pods will release and then the left side one will contain the one up. Um, uh, the second one is, uh, I don't remember where S SPM said it was, but I want to say that one of these two power-ups you have to have died at least once before it will spawn, um, which is interesting. There's also the uh, P icon, which is just the letter P in a box, and that grants you full power for your primary and secondary weapons, assuming you have both equipped. Um, these will appear a couple of places in the game arbitrarily, or if you... Uh, if you die and you continue, then you'll get a P icon typically uh, when you start. Or if you capture a fairy and then die, 
it will offer you the full power-up icon that first time. Uh, the game plays out over eight stages, uh, and then it does go into a second harder loop with faster bullets. Um, one of the interesting things about the game is that uh, player two, which is the blue plane, versus player one, which is the red plane, player two actually lowers your rank. So if you play on the player two side, you'll have slightly slower bullets, you'll have fewer enemies to contend with, and the overall rank will be lower. Yeah, and that's uh, carried over with the, at least with the PlayStation version, if you're doing two players, as long as there's one person on the screen, it doesn't restart you at a checkpoint. Right. You can keep continuing. And that, that was, I thought, sort of a nice not to, and it's probably one of the better ways uh, uh, that I've seen two players done. In fact, if you set off, uh, um, I hate to draw like a Dragon Ball Z reference here, but if you use a certain attack and they combine together, you can sort of do uh, like a fusion attack with both players. If you hit, hit the right button, you can do sort of like a super Kamehameha wave or something similar that it, I'm trying to remember the details here, but with the two-player, you can do a super attack if you if you did the attacks at the same time and sort of like a, close to being on top of each other. Right. Yeah. If if uh, if one if one player's plane is in front of the other or higher up on the screen, and then the other one is directly behind them or beneath them on the screen, if if the player who is behind or beneath shoots up into the the rear of the plane that's uh, in front of it, it will shoot out these green uh, spark-looking things that fire out in, in all directions and sort of creates a, um, a little bit more of a... not a spread attack, but definitely uh, allows for a little bit more crowd control if you start to have some enemies that you're not taking out and you're beginning to get overwhelmed. Which is kind of a neat feature, and I think probably the first time that I can recall a shooting game uh, implementing that kind of two-player cooperative uh, feature like that, where you can work together to create a, th a new way of attacking the enemy. Yeah, it's definitely unique for this game and very well welcomed. The other point I want to make out real quickly in regards to the fairies and the uh, mascot character, there if you collect them, it does add to your score, but they don't do anything at the stage end score. They're just extra bonus points. Right. Uh, max power for your primary weapons is 10. And uh, one interesting thing that that was noted in the STG Weekly episode uh, is, uh, you know, after you collect five power-ups, your plane changes configuration. The front of the plane sort of opens up a little bit, and it makes this great noise. And then uh, it also increases the size of your hitbox. Um, so something to keep in mind. Uh, and then the max, uh, max power up for your, uh, missile weapon is three. 
So once you collect the third one, you're at max power. Uh, the other minor difference between your player one and player two uh, craft, in a, you know, in in addition to the rank thing, is that I guess player one has slightly faster movement vertically, and player two has slightly faster movement horizontally. There's been some debate on this because I think that's maybe more noticeable in uh, Raiden two. So there's been some question as to whether or not this is. Uh, the Mandela effect, people trying to determine if this is actually a thing in the original Raiden versus maybe it's in Raiden 2 and their games are similar enough that people think maybe it's also in Raiden 1. I did not uh, I did not do side-by-side -side comparisons myself to confirm this, so I'll say take that with a grain of salt and uh, you know verify for yourself. Yeah, it sounds like it's a Ken and Ryu of the <laughs> of, of the Raiden series here. Right. Um, there are some bullets in the game that are destructible. Uh, like with a lot of other shooting games of the era, they're usually the spinning football shape. Um, and so some of those you can actually destroy with your own fire. Uh, game rank generally affects enemy health and bullet speed. And upon death, you lose all your power-ups uh, and go back to just the standard standard reg forward shot. But of course, rank is reset to minimum again uh, to help increase your chances of survival. The uh, playfield is larger than the horizontal size of your Tate monitor, so you scroll left and right to reveal more of the scenery. And interestingly enough, the game uses uh, what I'll all refer to as an offset scroll. So if you move your ship all the way over to one side of the screen and are literally touching, let's say, the right-hand side of the screen, as soon as you begin to move left, the screen starts to scroll versus um, having to go all the way to the right side of the screen and then reach at least the center of the screen again before it begins to scroll back left. So it's a different method than you than you typically see in, in games of this style. It also get, doesn't give you the tunnel vision that you get from a lot of shmups. Or feeling that you're in a cone. It, it does a good way to flesh out believability for this. It's also nice that enemies that are off screen don't fire bullets onto the screen. <laughs> right. Make, make you feel like you're being you're like, where the heck did that come from? So, uh, yeah, I, at first I didn't think much of this, but when I took some time, I thought, wow, that's really forward thinking. To ha have something where the bullets, something off the screen can, doesn't shoot at you, doesn't hurt you, and then the ability where you're, you're in control of a spot, but you can move left or right. So it doesn't feel you're just in this very narrow belt scrolling type maneuver. It gives the world more of a um, <clears throat> it feels lived in, more lived in, right? Or in this case, maybe bombed in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from what I from what I gathered, there is a degree of bullet ceiling in the game, but only when you're positioning your ship really close to a ground-based enemy. 
and usually only when you're beneath or basically on top of ground enemies. Um, it doesn't it doesn't take effect when you're when the enemies are at your sides, uh, but evidenced by many many uh, incidents of sniper tanks taking me out, even though I was very close to them uh, from the side. But uh, yeah, it only appears to happen when you're directly beneath or on top of them. Um, uh, so it's it's definitely an early example of of bullet sealing in the genre. I don't know if it's the first to game to do it, but it's certainly an earlier game. Yeah, one of the other things I know. Speaking of getting close to things, I'm very thankful that this is you know, a Toplan staple. Is we don't have to worry about collisions with other planes of existence, right? You don't have to worry about running into buildings or trees or whatever have you. You just have your one plane and you only have to worry about one set of directions, which I think really does this game a worthwhile service. Not right. having to worry about 3D objects or any any other thing in the buildings or whatever you have to... There, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's certainly one of the one of the things that I think makes vertical shoot 'em ups more attractive to some players is they they don't have to contend with the scenery. So I, I totally understand that uh, that mindset and not having to focus on that as a as a uh, element of the game. Uh, speaking of Toa Plan. Like a lot of the early Toa Plan games, when you've got a spread shot, you've got higher DPS when you're point blanking, um, particularly at full power. So, for example, a even though the laser, the blue laser shot is more powerful than the red uh, spread shot, if you're fully powered up and you're point blanking, you're still going to get higher DPS with that than you will with the blue laser shot. So definitely a carryover from the early tool plan stuff as well. And I think we touched on this earlier, but the original Japanese arcade version has checkpoints, but the Western release will allow for instant respawns upon death. However, of course, when you're playing two-player, as long as one player is still on screen, player the other player can continue to pump in quarters and... Uh, or credits, and keep going, and so you'll you'll have respawn upon death for uh, for a two-player game. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the graphics. The graphics are generally pretty standard, but they definitely do the job. I mean, a lot of it, as we talked about earlier, was very. <laughs> it feels very much like your standard military shooter. There's not not so much to differentiate it from, let's say, something like Tiger Heli. Uh, come earlier, it, you, but you can tell what stuff is, and I think the little touches that you see at a stage one with the cows and the people running add a lo little bit more to make the world feel more fleshed out, more lived in. The, the colors are a little bit muted from what you get, and I think that 
there's one part of this one I can't remember if it's the Genesis version or if it's the Turbo Graphics where the colors no it's the um, Jaguar version where the colors are brighter. Oh sure. That makes the game look different, but it still works well. It's not terrible, but it's not great either. It, it definitely does its job. The graphics are not the star of the show. Which is definitely fine. Um, I do like the explosions that you get. Here, I think this game has the best anime explosions outside of maybe Metal Storm. And I do like the effect that when your ship explodes, little pieces of shrapnel hit and can damage enemies. I thought that was a very nice touch. Yeah, it is a nice touch. And... I will say, I do think that the animations in the game are generally good, um, you know, including the explosions, so... Yeah, I mean, they're not... I wouldn't call them serviceable, because they're not, but but they certainly aren't wow for wow's sake on there, and it, it's not something where you're someone's going, did you see that? You know, in the arcade, when you're trying to grab everyone's attention was the latest and greatest and stuff this feels a little bit muted not that it, it, it's bad being muted but it doesn't have that draw factor to get you looking at the screen yeah but I remember seeing this game back in the day and being you know being generally impressed by how it looked well don't get me wrong I'm not calling it ugly but it at <laughs> the same time it's not a Ferrari either so it's not a right. Pinto but it's definitely not a Ferrari but it, it definitely works well with what it has and I, I think that the graphics are one of the things that has certainly improved over time I think that Raiden Fighters definitely does a better job with some of the graphics than when granted this is a couple years later but Raiden Fighters gives a little bit more vibrant color to it without without going into uh, you know um, pinata <laughs> or rainbow territory but still maintains that sort of down to earth militaristic aesthetic so it, it, it's a good starting point for the graphics and I the animations are well done and de definitely good, but you can definitely see where things were improved upon in the sequels. Yeah. Um, just talking about the sound here briefly, uh, the soundtrack to Raiden is pretty iconic. Uh, it was done by Akira Sato, and uh, of course, the stage one theme, Gallantry, is... Uh, definitely iconic among shmup music and in fact uh the version of gallantry that we use for the intro music for the podcast uh is a pretty good example of why the soundtrack of this game has been so uh, well loved over the years and why even though akira sato didn't compose music for any of the subsequent games his themes just kept popping up in later games in different remixed forms uh, because it's, they're just really good, um, really good tracks. 
Yeah, I have to say, gallantry is a classic, no matter which way you look at it. Everyone recognizes gallantry. But outside of gallantry, is there any specific tracks that stand out to you? I mean, I That's like- the problem I have with this, is I can't think of anything outside of gallantry that really speaks to me. Right. I couldn't tell you the names of the other tracks, but I can hum them all when I'm playing the game, and... Uh, I enjoy them all, so... Fair enough. Much like a lot of the early Toa Plan game soundtracks, I just think the music is fitting, and it works well within the game, and it sort of has that more uplifting kind of vibe to it, like a Toa Plan game, where instead of just music that's trying to pump you up and get you, um, get you amped to play the game, it has that more... I don't know, victorious kind of of uh, feel to it, so that you're you feel like you're you're not just flying into battle uh, desperately, but it's more of more of a vibe of I've got this kind of uh, yeah. Thing going it's on. very bombastic. Yeah, and yeah, I, I don't. I mean, but I, I certainly like the soundtrack in here, but it sort of reminded me of the times that I would buy a CD just for a single song. <laughs> and, and the rest of the stuff, while it was decent, it wasn't the reason why I wanted the album. Oh, and sure. And to me, Gallantry is that song. So, I, I get it. I mean, I, I think it, it's definitely, overall, it's a very good package. But mo- most people come for Gallantry. And I... That is definitely the song. And I think you could probably say the same thing about uh, some of the Gradius soundtrack, right? With with their work, there's pro- like one or two songs that everybody knows, and the rest of the stuff is uh, stuff that only people who have played the games over and over and over again would get excited about. Right. Yeah, and in terms of the sound, it's kind of interesting, the dichotomy between the somewhat slight sound from your own fire, your own shots, and the very slight uh, explosion sounds that you get from taking out popcorn enemies and stuff, and then the much more loud and booming explosion sounds that you get from destroying larger enemies, taking out bosses, dropping bombs, um, and... uh, you know, some of the boss sound effects are uh, a little bit more pronounced, so it's kind of an interesting, an interesting uh, dichotomy there. But I think it's good; it works because then it allows the music to be a little bit more prominent, and it do- it makes it so that the sound effects don't become annoying. Well, it certainly doesn't fall under the what I refer to as the steel vampire effect where everything sounds blown out or everything's up to turned up to 10 on here and it's just really hard to figure out what the heck is going it's mixed pretty well right so let's move on to scoring any target that you shoot and don't destroy right away will award tick points Medals are worth 300 points when collected, and if you survive to the end of the stage, 
and destroy the boss, you get an additional 100 points per medal. Now, if I remember correctly, the medals that you get throughout the stage, if you die at the boss, your medals for that entire stage are points are wiped off, right? Correct. It goes up to the life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a lot of times you get to the end and then you'll die on the boss and that's it. So you have to get really good at making through the stage on one life. Right. Which isn't hard, but it's sort of... <laughs> you, I don't know, it'd just be really frustrating if I got to the end and all of a sudden I got hit the, right at the very end and lost everything right before I killed and the boss gets one you know, one shot and then the boss is dead. So Right. Well, that's alright. That's the way the STG goes. Yeah, and the way that it works too is that your bombs your bomb stock becomes a bit of a multiplier. So the number of medals that you end up with Assuming that you don't die during the stage or the boss, the number of medals that you end up with get multiplied by the number of bombs that you have, and then that times, I think, a thousand points per medal. And so, for example, if you if you got ten medals during the stage and then you, you ended the boss with four bombs, or you beat the boss with four bombs in stock, then you get a 40,000 point bonus at the end of the stage. So, even though you're given a decent amount of bombs in the game, and you should be using them to, uh, you know, in, in very hairy situations whenever you can, you're obviously incentivized from a scoring perspective to, uh, to hold on to them. Yeah, and that's the true power of Texmexium. I mean, it, to get multiplies from scoring, beautiful. So, as we talked about earlier, the Miklis is worth 3,000 points. And uh, something interesting that I just learned regarding the Miklis, it's a playable ship in Raiden Fighters 2. Yes. Oh, and the ferries are worth 10,000 points. Both of which of these we had discussed earlier are not calculated into the end of the stage score and are just added immediately to your overall score. Right. And power-ups when you're at max power are worth an additional 5,000 points. The P full power-up is worth 10,000 points. And the stage 2 boss spawns enemies, so some milking is possible. The final boss does as well, though obviously that increases difficulty, so it's extremely risky. And Heck, if, you, if you're trying to milk the final boss, uh, <laughs> you're much, 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 much better at riding than I could ever hope to be. Because <laughs> that is hard. Same. So you get an additional 1 million points, bonus points for completing a loop, which is really difficult. And, and I think you should be given extra points just for making it to stage 6. <laughs> this, this game is a lot longer than I expected it to be initially. Most of the the STGs that we had played were, you know, maybe an hour at most, but this game feels like it keeps going and going and going. So, and and once you get to stage six, it, you really have to know what the heck are you doing, or you're going to be inserting a whole roll of quarters before you know it. Oh yeah. So now that we went over scoring in the graphics and the sound and everything else. What do you think about riding? This is one of those games that I've long been a fan of, 
but I know that as we've kind of discussed and hinted at several times, I know that it's very derivative, and it's it's well known at this point that the team who developed Raiden were highly influenced by Kiyo Kyoku Tiger, uh, or you know Twin Cobra from Toaplan, and that this game is very much a love letter to that kind of of design. But I do think that there's enough in Raiden that is different from Q-Tiger to sort of set it apart and and make it so that it's not just a clone, but it sort of builds on some of those some of those aspects. Uh, you know, Q Q Kyoku Tiger didn't have a sub weapon; it only had a primary weapon. And even though there were four different primary weapons that you could pick up, there were really only a couple of them that were useful. And uh, the the way that it's implemented is similar to Q Tiger, but again, it's the the weapons are different enough that they set themselves apart to a degree. The scoring is is a little bit more nuanced, and um, I think overall the the graphical presentation is better. I mean, it's a you know it's a couple years later from from Kyukyoku Tiger, but I definitely think that Cebu had a leg up on. Toa plan in terms of their graphical design at that stage in the game. A Toa plan would go on to create some really beautiful games in the 90s, but in terms of that shift from the 80s into the early 90s, uh, Cebu definitely gave Toa plan a run for their money and uh, made made Toa plan have to up their game for subsequent releases. And I think the overall soundtrack presentation and, uh, you know, just the, just how solid the game was is really what cemented it as such a, such a popular title and why it saw such great success. So it doesn't surprise me that this game was as successful as it actually was because it, it just really is very solid. Yeah, I think that was well said. I echo the sentiments that it took what had been came before it and it built, took the elements that were there and made a solid STG out of it. Is it doing something that is completely original? No. But what it does, it definitely does well. And it, it adds in just enough to add in a little something. Like I, hadn't, I don't think we've seen too many where the ship is destroying the pieces effect and take out the popcorn enemy or, or damage whatever's nearby. They're, they're I think the biggest telling factor about this game has to be the number of ports. Heck, I, I don't think since the original Gradius that any STG has gotten this number of ports. Right. Yeah, and 
And of course, it, they're going to be a mixed bag. I mean, we haven't really gone into it very much, other than what you mentioned at the beginning, but some of the ports of this game are truly abysmal and are are just not good. I mean, the Super Nintendo port from Micronics is terrible. It's not even really a port so much as a, a bit of a mild reimagining of the game. And it's, it's just not good. The Sega Genesis port is good, but as you said, it's, the colors are a little dull and the soundtrack isn't quite up to snuff, but honestly, it's, it's possibly the best thing that Micronet ever did. I don't care for the PC Engine or TurboGrafx version. I know there are some who do. But to me, it takes the base game and changes some things, and it actually makes it harder because it puts more enemies in there. And when you put more enemies in a vertically scrolling game that has been converted to 4x3 aspect ratio and um, you're not really given any more weapons or any more that you can use to contend with all that extra stuff, it just doesn't work for me. And even though the Super Raiden soundtrack is good, I don't think it does enough to... to... To offset the other changes in gameplay. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree there. The other thing that I wish I... or would like to see is maybe not so much like a remaster in some ways, but more to get something like this to get the M2 treatment. I would love to see different variations upon the soundtrack. I know that we've got a couple. Of course, the uh, Super Raiden and I, I think the Raiden project uh, for the PlayStation has a, at least one soundtrack variation. So it would be interesting for M2 to do a collection on this. That would be nice. Same, same way that they did with the last day. Right. And here I will be interested to see what they could do with this in order to uh, it's in here, and in that regard too, maybe throw in Raiden Fighters. It seems a little bit of a shame now that Raiden Fighters uh, is locked behind the uh, 360 curtain, <laughs> as it were. In that collection is about the only way I can think that you can play those games, and it's certainly not any cheaper. Yeah, I mean they're on the Raiden Legacy, but that's not great. That was the .emu one, right? Yeah. So funny to think of all the stuff that .emu has done since then. The they published Shredder's Revenge and they published uh, Streets of Rage Four. Come on now, show some more STG love. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think that and people who either do the arcade archives or if you're looking to play the PlayStation version would be your best bet. The other versions are curiosities and aren't really indicative of the spirit of the original vision. Right. With the possible exception, I would say, of the Genesis version, because it is as arcade accurate as you're going to get from that time period, and honestly is a pretty good effort. Uh, I would say that probably about the FM Downs before I said the Genesis, but that would just be me. True, but the Genesis version is more accessible. Oh, fuck. What you have to do is fly to Japan, buy this computer, buy the software, and then you can play it. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> it's accessible, see? Just as accessible as playing any game on the Sharp X-60,000. Oh, right. No, I totally get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to play. I, I would definitely go back and play Raiden, but it wouldn't be probably the one that I would fire up. I, I think that I would probably play Raiden Fighters Jet or maybe even Raiden 4. I don't have much experience with Raiden 3. I can't say there, but I would probably do 4 or Jet before I did any, or maybe even Raiden 2 before I did anything with Raiden 1. Right. And I think that's, you know, I think that's uh, pretty common. Uh, when I was spending a lot of time with the Raiden project on PS1 back in the day, I split my time between Raiden and Raiden 2, but I would say I probably spent a good bit more time with Raiden 2 than I did the original, in part because of the toothpaste laser, but also in part because uh, maybe the game felt slightly more approachable and uh, just uh, a bit more polished. Yeah, and they've also had more time to refine the concepts, right? The first version is always is for the most part not as good as the sequel. The sequel takes whatever was built good in the original and then builds upon it, right? So most of the time they do a better job of building upon it. Not always, but... Right. Yeah, and the same holds true. I, I don't... I think there are some exceptions where maybe the original is a little bit better. You could argue that maybe R-Type 2 is not as good as R-Type 1. And there, I don't... I mean, that, that's so de decisive or divisive that it could uh, go either way. But the foundation for the original R-Type is just so strong, I think it, that R-Type 2 would be hard-pressed to beat it. Yeah, that's just my opinion. Sure. Well, now that we've given our thoughts, let's hear from the ARV Generation community. Uh, first up, we've got Corkman, who said, You know I'm in this month. I'll probably go between the PS1 version and the Genesis version. I'll have to compare them, but the PS1 version seems pretty close to the arcade. I forgot how much this game allows you to, to scroll left or right. I've been playing Twin Cobra and Fireshock recently, and those games don't let you scroll as far laterally. It's cool because it makes the game feel bigger and allows you more room to not get cornered. But sometimes you scroll left or right into the firing range of an unseen tank. The Genesis version seems to be easier than the PS1 version on normal difficulty. Uh, and he notes here, don't forget to go to the options menu for normal difficulty, it defaults to easy. There doesn't seem to be as many enemies, and maybe the bullets are slower. It doesn't allow you to scroll left or right as much, so it's a little of a smaller playing field. The scoring will not be as high in the Genesis version. I've gotten to about the same spot on Stage 3 on both versions, with just about the same number of bonuses. I got 320,000 on PS1, and 258,000 on the Genesis version. Uh, and then later in the in the thread, he said, I had a strange glitch when playing Ride and Tread on the Genesis. Halfway through the game, all the enemies disappeared. The bosses, too. You can see in the attached picture that he uh, posted on the forum that the first boss didn't appear and the panel that uh, comes from wasn't there either. Just a black square. 
I could move and bomb normally the whole time. The game scrolled up a little from where the bosses are and then stopped. I could still move and shoot, but couldn't get stage 2 to start. Very strange. Yeah, I've never seen that glitch before, but I thought that was interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it's certainly a unique glitch. Yeah. Alright, our next comment comes to us from Aunt Geriatric Damaku. Hello players, I'm in. Real competition requires somebody to finish last. <laughs> I've played for a few hours so far on MAME, looking to watch for strats and get much better. Usually in a MAME or ROM set collection, the top listed version is the most official, but if anyone has recon that one of the other versions is the most official or accepted for competition, I could switch to it. Final thoughts, Raiden is too old school. Bombs take effect about half a second after they're fired. Sniper tanks aim straight for you. Baddies shoot you in the backside from behind. All classic shmup tropes. But I've reached my limit for a while and it's been a few years since I picked up Raiden fighters. Will it be as murderous? Probably more so. <laughs> You're a glutton for punishment, Mr. Geriatric Jamaku. Yeah, and he brings up a good point that... Um that we failed to mention earlier, but yeah, you can't really panic bomb in this game because there is a, a short window of activation between when you hit the bomb button and when it explodes. And according to what Cream said on the STG Weekly episode, there are instances where um, the bomb is going off, an enemy will be in the path of the bomb and won't get destroyed right away, so if you are in the path of the bomb, you can still collide with an enemy or a bullet before the bomb finishes taking that bullet out, so it's still possible to die even after you've bombed. I wonder if the bomb delay, we can coin a term here, bomb lag. Bomb lag, yeah, there you go. This game's got too much bomb lag. I can't play it. <laughs> Alright, Fomacho said, I'm in on this. So far, my score is 332,970, getting to stage 1-3 on the Japanese Arcade Archives release on PS5. I've been... I don't believe that at all. No way. <laughs> There's no such thing as a PS5. <laughs> uh, I've been doing single runs, but as I've grown a bit tired of the first stage, I should start credit feeding to get more time in on the later stages. My favorite part uh, so far is upon death. The score continues to climb a bit. Uh, and that's because of the aforementioned shrapnel effect when you, when you die. Really helps lessen the defeat, which usually hurts because the deaths come fast in this game. Uh, and then Fomacho offered some final thoughts later on. I definitely warmed up to this game over the month. The first level was getting quite dull when I wasn't improving much in stage 2. I found the bomb delay was just short enough to be tolerable. If I knew a certain bullet pattern was coming, I could still use it for self-defense. Any longer, and it would have been useless for anything except faster damage strategies against the stronger enemies and bosses. I started as the red jet on the Japanese version, and eventually moved over to the blue jet on the international version. I like the international version more, which has instant spawns instead of restarting at checkpoints. It keeps the momentum up, and runs feel more enjoyable to me. But, 
The fairy assist is more generous in the Japanese version. My best score was 603,370, uh, international two-player, two as you say, which I think ended in stage four. Happy to get above 500k, which was the last PSN trophy I needed to get. Excited to play more riding games and get a feel for the series as a whole. Excellent. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and uh, I know we did, and thank you for joining us. Our next comment comes to us from Zoido. Thank you again for joining us last time. It was great to have you. It says, started my summer of riding a bit late, but I played some runs last Saturday. Can't believe I made it to stage two. I mean, it, it sounds sort of weird someone saying stage two, but in this game, stage two is definitely an accomplishment. Final thoughts. Despite the checkpoint system, floating power-ups, sniper tanks, straight from Toplan Hill, and a ship that always feels too tiny and a bit slow for me, I can see why the original writing and as the series was so popular. It's not necessarily one of my favorite shmups, but I love the soundtrack, which is, in my opinion, one of the best for classic shmup soundtracks. Uh, definitely with that gallantry on there. I mean, just even the first couple of notes, and then people just start humming along. I wonder if we if that happened in there. If if you ever make it out to Shmup Slam, whatever the number is, fifteen maybe <laughs> by next year. But if you make it out to Shmup Slam, I wonder if if you start humming the first couple of notes of Gallantry, if people would just start joining along. <laughs> That'd be great. Have let's see if we can if we can lead a a chorus of of folks. <laughs> People sing Christmas Christmas songs just randomly and people start joining in. There you go, gallantry. Yes. Excuse me, do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior, Seibu Kaihatsu? Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Forget <laughs> uh, your own button. There you go. Exactly. Yes. Or t shirts that say, Shmups, ask me how. Uh, how about a, how about a, how about another sh- shirt says one cc? Ask me how. There you go. Up next we have D Tungsten. Uh, sorry, I don't have or make the time to do more in-depth takes on these, but Metal Fro really wanted my take as I have no memory of this game from back in the day. My first impression is that the landscapes with the houses reminds me a little of Tiger Heli, a game I do remember from back in the day. I noticed the floating back-and-forth power-ups that cycle through the options, which reminds me of Battle Squadron as a game that did that too. Uh, I'm aware of it being in other games, but can't remember which one's off the top of my head. The gameplay is solid, and the graphics are nice and pretty to look at even today. I don't feel like any aspects are too derivative, nor do I know specifically what aspects were originally in this game and used in other places. It's quite simple and straightforward compared to many later games with complex mechanics and scoring, but that's not a bad thing. Like most shooters, this game is difficult. The bombed-out overpasses became a joke on stream because they vaguely resemble Chicago infrastructure, fortunately not in the bombed aspect. (laughs) Yeah. The PS version, a PS1 version of the game plays great on the Mister and is probably the best version with the possible exception of the Arcade Archives version or a real arcade neither of which I played this month. 
Shout out to Metal Fro for meeting me at Galloping Ghost during the summer of Raiden, even though we played Darius 1 and 2 together there. <laughs> yes, we did. That was a great time. Final score, 10 out of 10 for the cows. Except for the Super Nintendo version, 0 out of 10, no cows. Just <laughs> credit to you for trying the Super Nintendo version. That, that deserves some recognition. Yeah, the, the Super Nintendo version, I feel like it could be reasonably beatable if you kind of got a feel for the cadence of the game. But it's just not good. Well, the Super Nintendo version, it doesn't hit, there's no redeemable qualities. The artwork is bland, the gameplay is bland, the soundtrack is bland, the graphics are bland. I mean, there's no. Even with looking at. Um, th there's no guy playing a banjo on it. There's, there's like nothing in here that, that is even unique or draw somebody to it it's just there yeah you know it, it's sort of it doesn't invite disgust but at the same time it doesn't draw people to it it's it's like a bowl full of lime jello right <laughs> no one's gonna go well maybe I should eat that or no one's gonna go oh that looks appetizing and it just sits there uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, our next comment comes to us from my favorite uh, us new username here, Schlarp. <laughs> it says, recap on Raiden 1. I had lots of fun, but it wore off in a bit. In the beginning, I was really eager to learn level by level without getting hit, but soon noticed that I'll never get close to 1cc. Well, I, hey, it, it's a hard game. I'm right there with you. I, I made it to the last level with save states, and I just want to see the end, but still aim to reach level 3 with one credit. Looking forward for Raiden Fighters, though. Yeah, Raiden Fighters, I think, is where we're going to pick up a lot of steam. I'm definitely enjoying that. In, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of Raiden, uh, Seibu Kahatsu's take on uh, Strikers. It's weird. It's, I know it's a little backwards, but... I see a lot of parallels there. It doesn't doesn't have a um, flying pancake, unfortunately, but it, it it does have a dragon. Yes. I'm I hope I'm pronouncing this right, but Squoosh. Been playing Raiden as part of the RF Generation Summer Raiden Run by Game Boy Guru. This game is truly kicking my butt, but managed to get through to the end of stage three of One Piece. Only five more to go. Well, congratulations. Getting to the end of Stage 3 in 1cc is still quite an accomplishment. And I think at most I managed to get to like Stage 2.5 halfway through before I got my butt kicked. So, kudos to you, sir. Yeah. And SPM uh, tweeted a bunch about the game uh, over the course of the month. And so I'll just share some of the tweets here. And SPM is at, at SPM underscore NSW on Twitter. And most of these included video as well, uh, which is nice to see. Uh, Raiden's fifth boss has a nice, simple flow to it, but man, was I tense at the end. There's no way I won't bomb that on an actual run. The hitbox is scary. In fact, I'll bomb everything I can. This game deserves it. <laughs> 
Uh, and then a, a later tweet, Raiden's six, uh, sixth boss is actually fun. It was pissing me off, but there's a way. Lowering their health until both heads flicker fast to kill them at once. It isn't necessary, though. I didn't know there was an intended exploit with extra asteroids. Nice touch. And then later, this was my best run so far, and thought I had finally got the first four bosses down. Next run, I died on the third and fourth. This game is a mystery to me. I keep finding new ways to die. And then, and then later on, Raiden's butt-clenching stage 7. Finally made it through in one piece. Only once, though. I may end up going for the 1cc after all. Um, and then uh, a little later on, Raiden's seventh boss complete. I was laughing hysterically with his lucky dodges, which are in the video uh, that SPM included in the tweet. Reaching this point underpowered was unexpected. I had always destroyed those panels before they attached to the boss. A second time, no missing up to stage 7, only to lose it all here. And SPM did actually manage to clear the game. Uh, uh, you know, tweeted about Raiden 2 and Raiden DX, and then dropped a link to the 1cc itself. Um, but in the tweet... SPM said, Raiden DX is awesome. Uh, gameplay first impressions, uh, presentations good, timed medals and hidden structures, lots of content. How on earth are you supposed to pick up the same power-ups after dying without grabbing others? And uh, I'm going to die a lot due to number three. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, SPM tweeted out, uh, I'm becoming a bit of a... It said, becoming a bit of a a Raiden addict or a Raiden, uh, Raiden fan. So I, I was glad to see that through this process, we were able to introduce the game to uh, a couple of folks who honestly didn't have experience with it, despite how prolific it was back in the day. And, um, and many kudos to SPM for in the course of less than a month, managing to, learn and clear the game on the first loop. A minute to you, sir. Yeah. So that brings us to high scores. What? You don't have the high score, neither does Zoido? <laughs> well, I have one of them. Yeah, so in the arcade version, as I said, SPM managed to clear... Uh, after the first loop, there uh, was a score of 2,912,250. And then uh, SPM's run ended in 2-2 with a final score of 3,073,120 points. Uh, Full Macho came in second with 603,370. Uh, Corkman uh, was at 326,900, playing on PS1 and Geriatric Damaku at 210,490 points. On the Genesis side, we had uh, three scores posted for that. I ended up taking the top spot there with 588,000 points even. Corkman came in next with 352,550, and Zoido with 345,600 points. 
And uh, I didn't mention it before, but but uh, shout out to Corkman for again joining me on uh, Fightcade for a two-player a two-player stream so that we could try the game out two-player. Very nice. So, final thoughts here. I By think... Jack Andy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I played Raiden today. It was a good game. <laughs> right, um, final thoughts here. I think this is a game that... Not to be a little bit too on the nose because of the whole Raiden legacy thing, but I, I think Raiden has a legacy. And despite the fact that Raiden began life as a game that perhaps aped its source material or its inspirations a little bit too closely, I do think that it is greater than the sum of its parts, perhaps not by a wide margin but enough to be recognized as a classic and as an influence on the development of the genre, and certainly as one of the games that has had more lasting appeal than a lot of other, a lot of other shoot-em-ups from this era. Because certainly, when you talk about shooting games now to people who are not immersed in the scene as we are, people still remember stuff like Gradius, people still remember our type uh, people generally can still name a few of the of the big games that they might have played as kids and certainly Raiden is among those uh, not only because of how how uh, prolific it was everywhere but the sheer number of console ports and and uh, coverage the game got you know it was everywhere for a little while prior to Street Fighter 2 kind of taking over the arcade and relegating shooting games to also ran status for a little while. And so I think it's a game that while the development team certainly improved upon it with subsequent games, I do think, still think it's worth going back to and certainly worth looking at the the roots of this series and also kind of seeing that interesting juxtaposition of really familiar elements that they obviously plagiarized from Toa Plan while also combining a few new things and tweaks of their own just enough to sort of allow Raiden to stand on its own. Yeah, well said. I mean, it certainly is derivative, but it, it's with the parts that they did ape, they aped very well, and it's stood on its own and has been ported so many times because it was a quality product. I mean, you take what works, yeah, there, and then you add in a couple new features, which is a very sound way of doing things it, it's not going to be revolutionary but it's not going to be a flash in the pan either it, you look at something such as maybe the the method that we use for vector man and donkey kong country and the way that they did graphics um where they would make sprites out of cg renders and that hasn't necessarily aged so well <laughs> 
in here where if you go back to write in you could get, get jump right in and still get it it may not be modern or have the, the best um, play that that you would get out of something such as say maybe ride in four but it, it's certainly I, I don't want to use the word serviceable but it, it's certainly it ha has enough in it to earn itself as a classic it it, it ha has established itself as a mile marker within the STG roadmap. It may not, may not be a tentpole like the original Gradius is or Space Invaders, but it certainly it, it is a mile marker and something that even as we've proven within, within this month's playthrough that it, people can go back to and try it out and find enjoyment out of. Yeah. Yeah, a solid foundation for better things to come. A solid foundation for future excellence. I know it sounds like a uh, like a bad school model, <laughs> or cliched school model, but it works here. Yeah. So, as we record this, we are uh, we are post Fourth of July and into full swing for Raiden Fighters the original Raiden Fighters which came on the arcade was ported to the 360 PC and mobile uh, I'm playing the 360 port and enjoying it quite a bit I like the uh, Strikers-esque ability to choose between the different planes and get different speed and defense and as well as different versions of the toothpaste laser and it seems to be working out pretty well. And in August, we're going to play playing Raiden 4 with our K360, PS3, PC, and Switch. Now, does Mikado count for this? I think it does be a Switch, but... Yes. Right. Okay. Yes, Raiden 4 Cross Mikado, since that came out on Switch, um, will definitely be uh, viable, mostly because it's essentially just... Riding for overkill with some additional features and the Mikado uh, alternate soundtrack included. Alright. So I'd like to shout out Ed of Studio Muppets slash Bullet Heaven. Well, I guess at this point now it's just Studio Muppets, right? For, for the logo. Right. And then mentioned that he also did the logo which shows up on the podcast shirts which I'm going to try and get myself a uh, podcast pillow so to speak for the couch I um, think that would be a good starting point nice. I'd like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music which uh, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier is gallantry I'd like to thank everyone at the RF Gen Playcast and the RF Gen Collector Cast I'm trying that's technically that should be changed to the RF Generation um, concert cast and the RF Generation Souls cast. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'd like to thank um, uh, the Parrot Pirate Dog and for uh, streaming the game of the month and making things interesting. Yeah, I'm trying. Um, 
my my skills are not as uh, as good as I would like them to be, but I just keep trying. That's okay. That's what you got to do on here. Yep. You know, I you can't expect it that if you're not a prodigy to instantly quit. That's just not how it works. You, you got to put in the time. Yeah. Or to get good. Well, that's what I'm doing. Yep. Maybe, maybe we should just get you some uh, Red Bull, you think? You think if you knock back a couple Red Bulls, it would help? Probably not. Hmm. Red Bull and vodka? <laughs> no, that would definitely impair my shmupping ability. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking maybe we just get you a picture of a lady holding a knife, cutting a giant lemon. Oh, yes. Yeah, like the uh, Interium Arcade. Yeah, uh, we, we met up at a arcade last month, and uh, that was the most prominent feature about the arcade was a lady holding a knife lemon. I, I don't know if that was meant to uh, draw out some inner powers on there or what uh, Namco was thinking, but uh, maybe, maybe it was originally Pac-Man, and they just couldn't do it, so they just threw in a, a lemon instead. They smudged it so they wouldn't get copyright infringement. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, well, thank you everybody for listening, and thank you everybody who joined us participation. We really appreciate you celebrating the summer riding with us, and look forward to playing more shmups in the future. Thanks, you everybody. <laughs> <laughs>